Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Man, yeah, I heard that. Woo, there you go, Marcelo. It is so good to worship Jesus with each one of you this morning. How many of you guys can already feel God's presence in this place? Hey, if you're online, we miss you. We wish you were here. I'm, I'm trusting and praying and believing that you experience God's presence through worship online as well, no matter where you're at. This morning, Pastor Hanks is not here with us. He is one of the general presbyters of the Assemblies of God, and that means he's one of the... Um, he helps make decisions, business decisions, and things like that for all of the assemblies of God nationwide. And this week in Orlando, Florida, we're starting our general council. We meet every two years to take care of business, to hear preaching and encourage each other and different things like that. And Pastor Hanks is being part of the general presbytery. He, is, uh, he had to get out there a little bit earlier than the rest of us. So Pastor Hanks is down there. Pastor, if you're watching, we love you. And we just want to take a second to say we honor you as well. As many of you guys know, Pastor Hanks has announced that at the end of this year, he will be retiring, or not say retire, he will be transitioning to a different form of ministry. He and his wife, Mary Lou, will be moving to Austin. Due to that, he won't be on the General Presbytery anymore. He served on the GP for over 20 years, and they've, they've made a decision to honor him as an honorary general presbyter, which doesn't happen very often. So he's one of the select few who get to take that honor, and a lot of that is because of you, because of your prayers, because of your faithfulness. And he just wanted to say, hey guys, this isn't just me, this is all a first at fire wheel as well. So guys, thank you so much. Church, thank you so much for loving our pastor well, for honoring our pastor well, and let's finish his final couple months together strong and together. Amen? Amen. Hey guys, there's some buzzing up here. Do you mind muting those instruments or something? Okay, cool. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, how many of you guys have your Bibles with you? If you don't have your Bible, why'd you come to church without a Bible? Oh my goodness. Goodness gracious. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Hey, last month I, got to, I had the chance to speak with each of you, and we talked about three lessons from the Lord's Last Supper. Today, the, last, uh, the first Sunday of every month, we take communion. And if you don't have one of these communion elements, raise your hand real quick, and we'll make sure that you get one. If you do not have one, just raise your hand. We got a couple people who need one. Guys, if you see that hand up, just go ahead and slide over there to them. Last month, we talked about three lessons we can learn. The first one was Jesus was, is, and always will be in complete control. The cross did not catch Jesus off, off guard. He controlled the events leading up to the Last Supper. Excuse me. <clears throat> he knew, and he even told Peter, that Peter was going to deny him. Jesus was in complete control of that situation, and he is in complete control of your world today. Whatever you're walking through, Jesus was, Jesus is, and he always will be in complete control. The second lesson we discussed was serve. Look at your neighbor and say serve. Serve. Jesus broke tradition. Jesus was the teacher. He was the one administering the Last Supper. And back in those times, that was a very high honor. That wasn't something that just anybody could do. Jesus, as the teacher, sat above and was administering the Last Supper to his disciples. And then in the middle of that, he gets down, he takes off his clothes, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet. 
Jesus broke the custom and served. And he said, even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that goes out and serves. Yesterday at 9 o'clock in the morning, how many of you guys know it's been hot? We finally hit that Texas heat, right? Yesterday at 9 o'clock in the morning, almost 20 people from our church went to downtown Garland. We were out in the heat, and we were serving the community of Garland, giving back to school supplies to a lot of the kids. We got to say, hey, Jesus loves you to these precious little kids. It's some of these big, bad teenagers walking around getting backpacks and school supplies and different things like that. And let me tell you, there's something special when a little girl has been wanting a Disney princess backpack, and she, she walks up, says her name, and you hand her a little Anna or Elsa backpack and she just goes <gasps> you're laughing at me I understand but if you were there you would have been like I ain't crying but because of your faithfulness the rock was able to to supply over 350 backpacks to people elementary middle and high school because Jesus broke protocol and washed his disciples' feet. First at fire will will break protocol, and we will be servants. We do not see ourselves as first but as last. We do not see ourselves at the head of the table but at the foot because we are servants as followers of Jesus Christ. We will be a church that serves our community. The third lesson is one of my favorites. You are free and forgiven. Look at your neighbor, nudge him, say, hey, I'm free. Look at your other neighbor say, I'm forgiven. You are free and forgiven. Sin has no power or authority over you. If you have trusted Jesus with your life, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are free and forgiven. And that should cause a celebration. Amen? You are free and forgiven. If you're here today, come on, if you're going to do it, let's do it. If you're sitting here today and you still feel like sin is weighing you down, guess what? I've got some great news. We're going to pray at the end, and God is going to set you free. Amen? We don't come to church just hoping something happens. We come to church expecting something to happen. My prayer every single week, every single day when I pray for services on Sunday, I pray that lives will be transformed for eternity, that people will walk in complete, or walk out completely different than they walked in. It doesn't matter if things are going great in your life. Guess what? God's still good, and he has better for you. He has better for you, and we are going to walk in that better. And today, we're going to hit one of the lessons from the Lord's Supper, and this one I have personal testimonies from. We were healed. We were healed. Isaiah 53 is where we started off, and where we're going to start off, this is where we kind of left off last month with the lessons from the Last Supper. And Isaiah 53, verse 3, starting off, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't even look at him as somebody who could be worthy of being a king. We didn't look at him as somebody who could be, man, that's got to be it. That has to be the savior of the world right there. Goes on to say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. And if you look that word crushed up, it doesn't mean just like beaten a little bit. It means like what you do, sometimes you get that pill for your kids and you have to crush it up to a fine powder and blend it in with their drink. He was crushed. He was beaten beyond anything recognizable as human. For our sins, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Say that last line with me. Say that last line with me. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's not a suggestion. That is a promise. When Jesus gave the last supper to his disciples, he told them to continue to take the wine and the juice or the bread and the juice to remember him. To remind them and to remind each one of us of what was getting ready to happen that night. His body was going to be beaten. He was going to be torn apart. The Bible says he was recognized as beaten beyond anything recognizable as human. His hair was ripped out. His beard was ripped off. His skin was separated from muscle. Muscle was separated from bone. It was gruesome. But he did that for the forgiveness of our sins and for our healing. And so many times we look at this and we think, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. And we stop right there. But this isn't the only place where we learn that the cross not just bought the forgiveness of our sins, but our healing as well. Go ahead and go to Psalms 103, verse 1. It's going to be up here on the screen. If you don't have it, have it. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All his benefits. Y'all know that being, being with Jesus, walking with Jesus has a lot of benefits. Amen. Being a follower of Jesus, it might not always be easy. There might be struggles. There might be some times where it feels like the world is attacking you. But there's a lot of benefits from being a follower of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to list the rest of Psalms 103 talks about all the benefits. But these are the three, or the two we're talking about today. It says, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, all your sin. Your sin was nailed to the cross, past, present, and future. We sing that song, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Just because you're walking and you mess up doesn't mean that you're okay, though. Jesus still asks us to step out and confess our sins to him. Say, Jesus, I messed up. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Once you do that, you are forgiven. Jesus doesn't look at you and see the sinner. He doesn't look at Lindsay and see Lindsay, the sinner, the man who might have been speeding on the way to church. I know nobody else did that, right? Nobody. I'm sorry for pointing you out, Lindsay. I just, it, was, it was divine, a word of wisdom that you were speeding on the way to church. Just joking. I've driven with Lindsay. The man does not speed. But it also says, who heals all your diseases. Who heals all of your diseases. These are two of the benefits that walking with God gives us. God forgives our sins and he heals and so many times we focus on, God, I thank you that you have forgiven my sins, and we walk away from God, I know that you're going to heal. And today, we're going to answer that tough question, why? Why do I still get sick? 
Why do people still die from sickness then if God still heals? Because if we're honest, we've all struggled with that, right? Hey, none of us, none of us can say, I've never had a doubt in my mind about that. That's a real issue. I have a friend whose dad passed away of COVID. He was 60. He was full of energy. He was in good shape. And yet his dad got COVID and died. This guy, my my friend is a minister in Mesquite. He prayed, he believed, he prayed these verses and verses we're going to talk about today. Why did his dad die? Why did Aaron's dad have to die? We did a funeral or a celebration service this past week for Kathy Byrne's mom. She loved Jesus. 90 years old. Most of us would say, man, I hope I lived in 90. That's a great age. But the last couple years of her life was surrounded with pain and suffering. And we've prayed as a church. Kathy's prayed, God, please heal her. Don't let her last days be in suffering and in pain. We hear testimonies like I've shared before about my legs, uh, about what God did in my son Tyler's life, how he healed him from from sensory processing and he couldn't eat, now he can eat, and, and all these other things. We say, God, I see this, but right now my reality is this. What's going on? And today, we're going to address some of these issues. Because being a Christian and and being a follower of Christ doesn't mean we have all the answers, but we just know where those answers are. And people are going to come up to us, and we're going to talk about these things, and they're going to be like, oh, really? Well, my grandma died from cancer. Or maybe you had a son who passed away. Does that change God's goodness? No. No. So, so the first thing that I want to say about all of this is, if you're new to First at Firewheel, we have four core things that we really believe that, that, that are not going to change about this church, no matter if, if Pastor Hanks is the lead pastor, if I'm the lead pastor 50 years from now, or whatever, somebody else is the lead pastor. These are the four core doctrines of First at Firewheel. The first is salvation. We believe salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. We believe in divine healing. We believe what we just sang, that this is a house of miracles, that God still heals yesterday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he still heals We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God said that, Jesus said he would send the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you could receive boldness. You could receive power to go out and make disciples. We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we believe that's coming very soon. Now, here's the deal. On that one, real quick, I know I've grown up in church all my life. We've heard very soon, very soon, very soon. Hey, even if I live to be 90, it's still going to be soon in the grand scheme of things. So even if you don't think it's coming, you're still not guaranteed tomorrow. You could die walking out the door. You could get in a car wreck. But we believe that Jesus is coming back to take those he loves, those who have given their lives to him, those who have a relationship with him, back up to heaven to be with him forever and establish his kingdom there. Those are the four doctrines, the four core doctrines of who first at fire will is. We hang our hat on these, and we do not, will not ever back away or shy down from those four. If you're visiting with us, I just want you to know that. If you're thinking about becoming a member here, I just want you to know that because that's not going to change. This might not be the church for you. If you're still here, I'm going to talk to you at least about divine healing today and why we really believe God still heals. Because we believe God still heals. I believe at the end of this service we're going to pray and God is going to miraculously, supernaturally touch and heal some of y'all. 
I believe that God is going to do something that some of y'all have just almost given up on. Like Summer said, something inside you almost was dead. Maybe you gave up on, on something, but God is saying, no, 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 no. No, today's the day. Jesus Christ still heals. The verses that I've mentioned already are in the Old Testament. Some people might say, well, that's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. That, that, that might not be relevant today. Well, let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Jesus was getting ready to send out his disciples to go out and begin to do ministry. He was beginning, he had already trained them. He was releasing them to go out and do the work of the ministry. And he says this to them. I'm sorry, this is the wrong verse. <laughs> This was when Jesus was actually, he was healing a lot of people. He went to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he healed her from a headache. We don't know if it was a migraine or a simple headache, but we know Jesus healed her. And then we know that a lot of other people came to Jesus, and Jesus began to heal each and every one of them. And Matthew added this tagline after it said Jesus healed many. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the verse we just read. Okay, Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. That's what this is in fulfillment of. He took our illnesses and bore our disease. The, the Greek, the Hebrew actually means he put all of that on him. He put all of the sins that you ever committed, will commit, or have committed on him. All of the sicknesses that you have ever experienced, will experience, he put on him. And then he raised back up to life to prove that he is Lord over death, hell, and the grave, to prove that he has kingdom authority over sickness. Second, or 1 Peter 2.24 also says, he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And say this last line with me again. By his wounds, you have been healed. I know sometimes we read stories and we think, okay, well, maybe it's not just the Old Testament. Maybe Jesus did do this in the New Testament. Come on, Pastor Josh, that's Jesus. You're, you're setting a pretty high bar. I'm not Jesus. I'm not close to Jesus. I've never been like Jesus a day in my life. But Jesus, when he did send out his 12 disciples, what I was talking about just a minute ago, he says this in Luke chapter 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. There's no doubt about what Jesus gave his disciples. Okay, Pastor Josh, that's Jesus. That's the disciple. That's the big dog. That's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter. That's, that's the big dog. They have, they have statues dedicated to these guys. That's not me. Okay, the very next chapter, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, after the 12 came back, Jesus, the Lord, appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town. And he placed in place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Once again, it's tying to correlation. Healing of the sick was to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it is also a promise for those who walk with Jesus. 
Okay. That was Jesus. That was the 12 apostles. That was 72 people hand-selected by Jesus. Still, this is me, Pastor Josh. I get, I get angry at my family a lot. I might speed, or maybe I do something worse. Maybe I'm struggling just to even open my Bible on a consistent basis. Okay, well, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say to you then. Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever, is, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Pause right there. This is the great commission. This is Jesus sending us all out. These words apply to you and me today just the same that they did to those, the, the people who were there right before Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay? There's not a church in the world today that would deny that Jesus has not called us to go and preach the gospel to all nations. Not one. Yet so many times we stop right there. We fall short of what Jesus has actually the fullness of what Jesus has actually called us to do. How many of you all have kids? How many of you guys have asked your kids to clean their room before? How many of you have walked into said room after you've asked your child to clean the room and you're like, what? Um, okay, like you made, I guess it's an attempt at making your bed. I'll give you credit for that. But there's toys everywhere. There's clothes. It looks like your, your laundry basket just exploded. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's you. And your spouse, is, your wife has asked you to clean, man. I'm going to just stop right there. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Calling the guilty out. <laughs> but is partial obedience complete obedience? Is partial obedience obedience at all? Mm, partial obedience is not obedience. To f obey, to really obey, you have to fully obey. So Jesus says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes is, and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. But Jesus did not stop there where we stop. Jesus goes on to say in the very next breath, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you're, you're supposed to go out and preach the gospel. You're supposed to go and tell people about me. You're supposed to go and make disciples. Can I just hit pause on that for a moment and say, church, look around you. There are plenty of empty seats, plenty of disciples that need to be made here at first at Firewheel. It's not the church's sole responsibility. It's the people in the seat's responsibility. It's not me as pastor of the church responsibility. It's me as a man out here's responsibility. It's not my title, but it is my position as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the same goes for you. We are called to make disciples. We are called in the name of Jesus to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So why does that not happen all the time? I mean, Jesus even goes on to say in John chapter 14, verse 12, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these will you do because I am going to the Father. Hold on just a second. How many of you guys have read the Bible? 
Maybe you've just read one or two stories of what Jesus did. Jesus did some pretty amazing stuff, right? Jesus' life was anything but boring. Jesus' life was anything but mundane. Jesus' life was always a, a great adventure, Our lives are to be a great adventure as we follow Jesus. Our lives shouldn't be boring, shouldn't be mundane, because we are supposed to go out and do greater things than Jesus. I don't know how many of you, maybe some of you have prayed for sick people and seen them healed, but how many of you have prayed for a dead person and seen them come back to life? I can think of one. Where's Jeremiah? Jeremiah here? He's sick. Well, we're going to pray for him. <laughs> Many of you guys know the story of Jeremiah Hart. His mom and sister are right over here. Jeremiah, they were walking over at Firewheel several years ago and just walking on the sidewalk, minding their own business, having a fun family day. And an elderly lady lost control of her car and pinned Jeremiah up against a brick wall. And thinking that she pushed on the brake, she actually pushed on the accelerator and continued to pin him up against the wall. My brother-in-law, David Wade, was one of the first officers on the scene, and I I don't know if I've told you this before or not, Bridget, but when he took off his shirt and just wrapped Jeremiah up, he said, Josh, I was just doing that so his mom wouldn't see her son die. They went to the hospital, and multiple times, flatlined. But because Bridget understands the authority that she has in Jesus' name, she began to pray. She said, God, I know you're not done with my son. I believe that you are still moving like that song we sang about. And she began to quote scripture. She began to speak God's word over Jeremiah. And slowly, he began to get better. So it wasn't like a boom. He stands up and walks again. Actually, he lost one of his legs. He's undergone 30-plus surgeries, almost 40 surgeries. He's a walking, living, breathing miracle. How many of us have actually prayed for somebody who's dead and seen them come back to life? Now, I'm not saying, hey, you've got to hear God before you do this. You don't walk into a funeral and just start praying over people. God's called us to be, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're supposed to live different. He didn't call us to be crazy. It's said of Smith Wigglesworth, the great evangelist, great revivalist, that one day he was at a shoe company getting some shoes, and he was walking out, and next to the shoe company was a a mortuary, and they were having a funeral, and he felt the Holy Spirit say, go in there and pray for the dead person. I'm going to heal them. And even Smith Wigglesworth, man, had, had prayed and seen hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people give their lives to Christ, great man of God. He goes, what? God, is that really you? If, I, if this doesn't work out, this is going to be a mess. You know that, right? And, and, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit just continued to speak to him. He said, okay, I know that voice. I, I've known that voice for a long time. I recognize it, so let's go. So he goes in. He walks up to the casket, picks up the dead body, and says, breathe in the name of Jesus. Let's go. Body fell right back. At this point, you can imagine how he's feeling. Not good, right? None of us, we'd all be like, is that what you said? Jesus, you really said? (sighs) Three or four times he did that. Finally, when he let go, the man goes, (gasps) and a big breath came in him and he came back to life. 
greater works than Jesus we are called to do. I think we don't because either we don't recognize the voice of God or we're scared. We're scared of what if. What if I pray for this person and nothing happens? What if I stick it all out there and nothing happens? What are they going to think of me? Church, can I lovingly tell you the results are not up to you? The results are not up to you. They're not up to me. They're up to Jesus. What he is looking for is a people who will be obedient to whatever he asks us to do. Whatever he asks us to do, wherever he calls us to go, no matter what the cost to us. So I say, let's let our faith flip that what if this morning. Instead of saying, what if I pray for the sick and nothing happens, let's begin to say, what if I pray for this person and God heals them and God uses that to supernaturally touch and change their life forever so that they see their need for Jesus, they become a Christian, they become a follower of Jesus Christ, then their whole family tree changes forever because God used me and I stepped out and stopped saying, what if it doesn't? And I said, what if God does? Because God wants to do something, and he's looking for a people who are not scared. We are called to be full of boldness. The Christian life should be a great adventure. It should not be something for the weak or the faint of heart. The good news is, if you're that person, God said, I've given you the Holy Spirit to have power so that you can overcome that. He wants to instill that power and that boldness in each one of us. When Jesus was leaving the earth, he did not just tell his disciples and us to go proclaim the gospel. That's true, absolutely true. That is a must. But he also told us to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In fact, the God of healing, Jehovah Rapha, is one of the first ways that God introduced himself to the Israelites. As they were walking through out in the wilderness, they had just left Egypt. They had just seen the Red Sea's part. You guys, if you grew up in church, you know the story. The Israelites were, were walking away from Egypt. They were just going out into the wilderness to worship God, is what Moses said. And then Pharaoh realized all of his slaves, all of his help, all of his hired hands were gone. So he sent his army after them. Him and his army went after them. As they were coming out, they began to see that they were trapped between Pharaoh's army and the giant Red Sea. And they said, okay, what are you going to do, Moses? Moses said, God, what are you going to do? Moses lifted up his hands. He prayed. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked across on completely dry ground. And then as the Egyptians came through, Moses set his hands down, and the waters came together, completely destroyed all of the Egyptian army. They had just seen this miracle. They were walking around in Egypt, or walking around in the desert, and they began to get a little thirsty. They were running low on water, which that's a big deal when you have hundreds of thousands of people plus cattle plus washing everything, all of that stuff. That's a big deal, low on water. They come up to a little, a, a little pond or a lake, and they realize that it's bitter. They can't do anything with the water. And they begin to get angry at Moses. Moses goes and prays. And he reminds the Israelites of what he had done in the past. God reminds the Israelites of what he had done in the past. And he says, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and obey all of his commands, I won't give you all the plagues that I gave the Egyptians. In Exodus 15, I believe it's verse 3, God says, because I am Jehovah Rapha, 
the God who heals. That was one of the, I think it was the second or third time God gave a specific name for himself. Names back then were important because it said who you are. It's not just a name like Sage or Josh or Zane or Summer. We just name, name our kids names. Oh, that sounds cute. Let's go. Or our, our wives name our kids that. And we just, yeah, that's good. Okay. But names, biblical names, were intentional. There was power behind the name because that name prophesied who you were going to be. That name spoke who you were going to be. And when God said, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you, he was not mincing words. Isaiah says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why do we still not get healed all the time? You see, that's not a as easy of an answer as we would like it to be. We come to church and we want to have all the answers, cookie-cutter answers. Now, there's some things, maybe, you, maybe you're walking in blatant sin. Now, not all sin leads to sickness. Jesus was clear about that, but there is some. Paul says, maybe you're taking communion without a, examining your heart. Paul said, there's many sick among you because you're taking the Lord's Supper without examining your heart. You have sin in your heart and you don't care, but still you're taking the Lord's Supper. You're remembering what Jesus did, but not fully walking out the sacrifice that he made. Pastor Robert Morris says it like this. Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin and sickness on the cross. We have been saved from the penalty of sin and sickness. We are being saved from the power of sin and sickness. We will eventually be saved from the presence of sin and sickness because we live in a fallen world. Is there anyone in here who does not believe that Jesus has authority over sin? That Jesus has set you free from sin? Then why is there still sin in the world? Because we live in a fallen world. Why is there still sickness in the world? Because we are not yet made perfect in the image of Jesus. And I wish I could just say every time we pray, boom, it's going to happen right away, but it doesn't. I wish I could say every time we pray for somebody who has a lost son or daughter or a family member that they're going to come back into a relationship with Jesus right away, but it doesn't. Why? Do we still not see healing all the time? Because we live in a fallen world. And some people will say, Pastor Josh, that's just a lame excuse. No, that's the truth. Because Jesus set us free from sin, yet many of us still walk in sin. Many of us still sin. Many of us still struggle. And I'm not glorifying that. I'm just saying the reality of some of this. Even though Jesus set us free, Jesus paid the price, we are still in the presence of sin. We still live in a world that exalts sin, that honors sin, that, that glorifies sin. Does Jesus have the power to supernaturally remove all of it? Yeah, he does. Does he have the power to supernaturally remove all sickness? You better believe it. Why does that not happen all of the time? You know what? Isaiah also says, 
This is God speaking. He says, your ways are not my ways. He says, my ways are much higher than your ways. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. There are some things, specific questions, that we're not going to know the answer to on this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean we give up. That doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean we say, well, I prayed once and nothing happened, so I'm just going to quit, and God just doesn't heal anymore. That's that. That's not how faith operates. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith says when I'm praying, even if I don't see it with my natural physical eyes, even if what happens right in front of me is not what I I, I anticipate God is doing, I'm still going to believe what God's word says. Several, uh, probably two years ago, my daughter Sadie was diagnosed with um, psoriasis arthritis. And what that is, is that's like uh, plaque psoriasis, which runs on my side of the family, and arthritis, which runs on my wife's side of the family, kind of combined into this ugly little thing. And we, we were diagnosed, Sadie was diagnosed, and uh, they said, you know, she's have some, the, the worst part is her eyes, there's some issues there that... Um, it's, it's been going on for a minute that, that have been left unchecked. So we're going to put her on drops and walk her through all this. She's taking shots and all this stuff. And, and, and it milded itself out. It got better. And then probably March or February of this year, her eyes started getting worse again. So we said, okay, we're going to pray. We're going to get you to the doctor. So we went back to the, the retina specialist this isn't just your regular eye doctor. This is a retina specialist, and he looks at her, and in front of her, great doctor in front of her, he says, yeah, I think we can take care of this with some drops, very powerful, but then he tells me, this is actually pretty serious. If this doesn't fix it, we're going to have to do shots in her eyes. This is for a little girl who already has to do two to three shots a week, or two, yeah, something like that, and absolutely hates them when we have to go to Scottish Rite to give blood to check her levels, terrified. So I'm thinking, you want to do that in my daughter's eyeball? <laughs> Good luck. You're not even doing that in my eyeball. <laughs> so we begin to pray and pray. We go back to the doctor, do the drops. He says, okay, well, I see a little bit of improvement, but it's still not enough. We, we're going to up the drops. So we up the drops. Go back ups the drops, but also gives us a more powerful eye drop, like a $300 eye drop, y'all. This ain't cheap. And this is May, I believe. In June, at our district council, our district superintendent, Dr. Clunch, uh, he just said, I feel like God wants us to have a special healing service, so we're just going to pray for the sick, and we're going to trust God with the results. And, and he preached a message on healing that day, and, and they were praying for people, and Summer and I looked at each other, and she goes, I'm going to go get Sadie. I said, Mm-hmm. So we get Sadie, we pray for her. Uh, she says, my eyes are feeling better. I can see better, which was good because at district council, we lost the drops, the 300-something dollar drops. 300-something dollar drops, y'all. <laughs> I don't know what preachers you have seen, but we're not dropping another 300 bucks on eye drops when we're going to the doctor two weeks later. And so we go to the eye doctor, and I'm at camp, and I get a text from my wife, and it shows me this picture. Now, for those of you who don't have a degree in retina, 
whatever that degree would be, like me, this is her eye on April 28th. This is her eye on June 30th. I don't know. Uh, to me, okay. <laughs> Great. That looks awesome. I'm looking at this thinking, okay. The next picture is a picture of my daughter going, And Summer says, she's healed. She has almost perfect vision. She has almost perfect vision. Even before that, Sadie didn't have perfect vision. And she said, the, the doctor said, man, those drops finally worked. Summer just smiled. We lost the drops, doctor. <laughs> uh, that was Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why God didn't just heal her the first time we prayed. I don't know why she had to walk through those couple years. She still has arthritis. I don't know why God hasn't just completely healed that. But I do know God still heals. I do know God wants to heal you. I do know God loves you. I do know there's a young man who's visited our church a couple times by the name of Kevin. Carlos Barone, Nancy, where are you at, Nancy? Nancy Barone's brother-in-law. Was living for Jesus, got messed up, some wrong stuff. Began to uh, not live for God. One day was running from God and from the police ran through the highway, almost cleared it, and then a big semi-truck leveled him out. That was on a Friday. I remember getting a call that next morning because Kevin's wife wasn't even in town. Nobody knew this had happened until the next day. Carlos and Kevin's former pastor were the first ones to walk into the, the, the ICU, the emergency room where he was. And Carlos, big tough dude, you know Carlos. He said, man, it was crazy what I saw that day. In fact, I think we've got a little video to show this. This is Kevin in the ICU. Doctors weren't sure if he was going to make it or not. Multiple broken bones, lungs collapsed. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus, everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Today, Kevin is in rehab. Because by Jesus' stripes... We were healed. Don't let what you see shake your faith in what God's word says. Here in a moment, we're going to do what God's word says. James 5, 14 through 15 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise them up. 
Y'all, this might seem different. This might seem abnormal. But for those who truly walk with Jesus, this should be the regular. We've gotten so scared of what happens if I don't pray or if I pray and this doesn't happen that we've created theologies to say that it's not God's will that everybody should be healed. It's not God's will that everybody should be saved. We've created theologies because we're scared, not based on the word of God. I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward. Hassan, if you don't mind coming up here and just playing something on the keys. Deacons and their spouses, if you would come forward so we can pray. We have the oil up here behind the two monitors. Ultimately, we all understand that death, aside from the second coming of Jesus during our lifetime, death is going to occur to us. My challenge to us is let our lives be based on Philippians 1.20. Paul says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That is a decision that each one of us has to make on our own. That's not something that can accidentally happen. That requires intentionality. Christ to be glorified in your body, whether you live or whether you die. I know there's many sick in here. I know uh, there's many who, who aren't even able to be here in person. Maybe you're watching online. Hey, I believe God created technology. God can flow through those internet waves, and he can touch and heal you right where you are. I believe God is going to do something today. And some of you have came to pray, and maybe somebody's shaking your faith by saying, well, you just don't have enough faith. Let me tell you, that's hogwash. That's hogwash. There are some people that their faith made them well, but it was some people, the people praying for them, their faith is what made them well. Jesus went and, and, he, and he was talking to a Roman official and the Roman official came to Jesus and said, hey, will you please heal my servant? Jesus said, yeah, I'll go lay my hands on him. Let's go to your house. And the Roman servant said, hold up, stop. I understand authority because I have uh, over 100 men under me and whatever I say, they have to do. If I say go, they go. If I say go do that, they go do that. Jesus, you're a busy man. I, understand. I see that you are one who operates in authority. You just have to speak the word and my servant will be healed. It had nothing to do with the servant. It had everything to do with that Roman centurion's faith. That wasn't a profession of salvation. Let me get that straight. That was a profession of him understanding how Jesus operated. Jesus said, wow. Your faith has amazed me. There's only one other person Jesus said that to. And Jesus said, go, your servant is healed. And as he went back, his servant was already out doing things. And his servant, he saw that Jesus spoke the words and his servant was healed. There's no magical formula. There's no way that you have to pray. There's no, it has to be your faith. It has to be this person's faith or whatever. Listen. Jesus just required us to do what James 5 tells us. If you're sick, come up here. Let the elders of the church anoint you with oil. Lay their hands on you. We're going to pray. Once again, the results are not up to us. They're up to Jesus. We're going to do our part, and we're going to pray. There's times in Scripture where Paul would pray over a piece of cloth, and they would take it to the sick person, they put that cloth on the sick person, and as they prayed, that sick person would be well. 
We're going to do that too. We have Sister Alberta Kelly. She's doing better. But I believe God wants to completely heal her body. There was also an instance where Peter was walking by. Peter walks by and just his shadow grazed somebody and his shadow healed that person. It doesn't make sense. Stop trying to reason this out in your mind. You can't. This is a supernatural intervention of God. This does not make sense to our mental, physical minds. But if you believe that God wants to heal you, maybe you're like the father who who brought his daughter to Jesus and said, hey, yeah, if you believe, she will be healed. And the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Whatever, if you're sick and you don't want to walk out those doors sick, I challenge you to come on up right now. We're going to pray for you. These deacons, these men, and I have both been praying this week, and we believe that God is going to supernaturally do something in your life. Maybe it's somebody else in your family, somebody you know. You say, hey, Pastor Josh, my life is good right now. I'm actually feeling very well, but there's somebody close to me who I want to stand in the gap for. Come on, let's pray for them. We do not have to leave the same as when we came in. The choice is up to you. Do you want to be healed? Sometimes you need to take that step of faith in order to receive what God has. People are coming now. Come on, let's go. Let's go. If you have a child out in kids ministry, go get them. God is going to heal. Whether it's a physical need, an emotional need, maybe you're struggling with anxiety. That verse in Isaiah 53, one of those times where it says the word grieved, he he was a man acquainted with grief, means he was acquainted with anxiety. God wants to heal you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, please come up and begin to help us pray. We've got a lot of people. If this doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. It doesn't always make sense to me. And my final thing. Maybe you've never grown up in this or you haven't attended church or you've attended church where they kind of teach the opposite of what I've talked today and you want to talk. I still have more verses that we can talk about. Let's talk. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done this morning. God, as we leave this place, I pray that we will leave changed. That we won't just keep the change to ourselves. That as we go out to eat, as we go to sports events, wherever we go, that we're going to talk about your goodness. We'll talk about the great things you have done, Father. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, church, go and love Jesus, love people, and love life. God bless you guys. Have a great week.